Hello, friends. How are you? Good to see you. Oh, that microphone's still on. Good to see you. Awesome. Thank you. Glad to be seen as well. How are you? Good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so we have been in a series called Loving Community. It's the first half of a phrase that we're kind of investing our lives in this year, Loving Community for Bold Exploration. We want to be people who embrace the idea that it means, if, if we're growing, it means we're constantly moving deeper into who God has created us to be, who He is, what our relationship with Him is like. And so that's what it means to be a bold explorer. And the best context for that, I think, is loving community, that we know that we can take risks, that we can step out, and that the people around us are going to be there with us through the process. So as we grow, um, we want to be people who surround one another as loving community. A couple weeks ago, I was getting ready for an interview with a guy named Sung Chan Ra, and he has written several books. One of his books is a book called Many Colors, Cultural Intelligence for a Changing Church. And as I was kind of going through his book, trying to learn more about some of the things that he talks about, I came to this chapter, and the chapter was all about these kind of spectrums that define culture, that there are these kind of one to ten spectrums that make up how we experience culture and community and the people around us. He talked about things like a task-oriented culture all the way to a relationship-oriented culture. And that some of us tend toward that task and some of us tend toward that relationship, whether it's in a smaller group of a culture or a national culture or a racial culture. Um, and the, another one that he talked about was direct to indirect. So there are varying levels of directness with which we speak to one another that kind of are one of the ways that we define culture. Um, equality to, to hierarchy. So is it kind of a, a culture of equality or is there kind of a vast hierarchy of leadership? And I got to this one, individual to group mentality. How much do we spend thinking about ourselves versus how much time do we spend thinking about ourselves in the context of relationship with other people? And I think in America, like our context, we, we really are brought up around this idea of individuality. Take responsibility for yourself. Do your thing. And that can be really, really great. But there's this other concept of understanding ourselves as part of a larger whole. And there's a high value of us understanding how we and our relationships with one another affect one another, the things that we say, the things that we do, how we relate to one another. And that's what it means for us to be in community, for us to understand ourselves as part of a larger group. And so much of our role in community is around the idea of giving ourselves to one another. In John chapter 15, verse 13 Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. We have that, so we can put that up. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Now that concept of laying down one's life, especially in the context of Jesus, I think we think about it about like, okay, yeah, I would die for someone I love. And that's certainly a component of laying down one's life. But as we look at this in the original language, that laying down one's life is actually translated from a set of words that means to set or to place, to make, to fix, to establish. It's actually way more about how we live 
than it is about the concept of dying. And so what does it mean for us to lay down our lives in life? What does it mean for us to constantly establish ourselves for someone else? Or to place ourselves down so that someone else's life might change. And so today, as we look at this idea of loving community, we're going to look at this idea that community requires discerning sacrifice. So in those words of Jesus, no greater love has this, that someone would lay down their life for their friend. That's the concept of sacrifice. But what is this idea of like discerning sacrifice for us to be intentional about the ways that we're investing our time, investing our talents, and investing our resources? For me, I, uh, oddly enough, listened to about a third of a book called Essentialism recently. Uh, didn't even make it all the way through the whole thing because this whole book is about like the concept of narrowing our focus into what our first and best contribution is in life. And I know that so many of us in this room might feel pulled in so many directions. In one moment, you feel pulled this way, and then the next hour or the next minute or the next second, you get a text message, and you feel pulled in another direction, and then maybe you get an email, which is a whole different idea, and you feel pulled in another direction, and then you kind of get home from work, and you feel like you're pulled in a, yet still another direction. And this whole concept is about the value of discerning what are the things that we should give ourselves over to? And as we talk about discerning sacrifice, we're going to talk about that concept today. You know, Jesus was a master at this. He fed 5,000 people, and immediately after feeding those 5,000 people, he goes away to spend time by himself, recognizing the value of discerning how he spends his time, the, thing he, the things he gives himself over to. When you came in tonight, there were nine areas of kind of typical areas of generosity, things that people would normally give themselves over to, their time, their talent, and their resources. But you came in, and there were nine things, but you only had three stickers, and so you had to make a choice. Which three of these things do I feel drawn to? And I wonder for how many of us in the room, we had actually thought about that question before. And then how many of us, maybe we approached that board with these three stickers on our fingers and we thought, huh, I've never really considered this before. And as we talk through this today, and I'm only going to talk for maybe like 25 minutes, short message today, but that's the gist of where we're going. I want all of us to walk out of the room at the end of the night tonight, having made intentional decisions about the things that God has called us to invest our lives in so that we can invest in those things well. So before we get into uh, these kind of five points, I'd like for us just to pause here and close your eyes. And I just want us to start by listening around that concept. Maybe you want to think back to the three areas that you put your stickers on, on the board over there. Or maybe you can think about it in terms of calling or passion and let's begin kind of moving toward this intentionality of how we're meant to give our lives away. In what context can we give ourselves away to the people around us? Yeah. Lord, would you just continue to bring a deeper sense of clarity for us? 
And in that clarity, Lord, I pray that you would continue to unlock a deep level of joy in the act of sacrifice. God, that you would stir up in us generosity. A generous spirit. That we would begin seeing every bit of who we are and what we have is an opportunity to serve well. Amen. So I'm just going to talk about some of the things that I think it means for us to be discerning about how we sacrifice. And then maybe also some of the things that begin to happen as we make those intentional decisions. So first, sacrifice grows into an exponential investment when we're willing to make it intentional. So it moves from this idea of us just kind of like casting out things and hope that it'll take root. But instead, I'm giving intentional time and energy to specific things so that I see exponential returns on the investment that I'm making in my sacrifice. And I think a great example of this is Jesus and his relationship with the disciples. From the very moment Jesus began his earthly ministry, he went to these guys and he knew exactly what it was that he wanted to spend the next three years of his life doing as he invested intentionally in these guys. In Matthew chapter 4, he just says something simple. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So from the beginning, he's intentional. Hey, Come with me, and I'm going to give myself away from you, for, for you. I'm going to spend my time and my life investing in you because one day I'm not going to be here, and I want you to carry on the things that I'm going to plant in you. And so he brought them around him. He began to teach them, and almost immediately, he begins to send them out to practice the things that he's talking to them about. And they fail, and they come back. And Jesus instructs them, and he cares for them, and he loves them, and he invests deeper in them. And then they learn and grow, and he sends them out again. And eventually, this investment pays off after Jesus goes to the cross, and then is resurrected, and then is raised to the heavens. He commissions this group of people to carry on the work that he, has, he had established. And so Jesus made that intentional decision with the expectation of of exponential returns on the investment that he made into them. And so he invested in 12, and there are literally millions who are part of this thing because of that initial investment that Jesus made. And we as a community have decided to kind of make this intentional investment in a couple areas over the long term as well because we see the value of investing in certain things over a long period of time. One of those is the human experience. So several years ago, if you don't know the story, Nathan Smith, uh, one of the members here of our church, was a fifth grade teacher. And his students were about to graduate elementary school, and they were about to go off to middle school. And he said, the Lord is calling me to continue to invest my life in these students because there's so much that he wants to do in their lives. And I don't feel like it's time for me to let them go. So what does Nathan do? Nathan starts a middle school. 
And he follows those kids and he continues to invest in their lives over the course of a couple years. And he asks us, hey, do you want to come along on this journey with me? Can you help me do this thing? And so we say, yes, Nathan, we believe in who you are. We believe in this dream that God has given you. And we want to invest alongside of you in the human experience. So the last few years, we've been doing that alongside of him. And it's changed and it's morphed, but the heart of investing in these kids has stayed the same. And this is a very specific kind of even announcement-y thing here in the middle of my message that on Friday, May 19th, we're having another lock-in with the kids from the human experience. Uh, We have two shifts, one's at 6 and one's a little bit later between 6 p.m. and 2 a.m. And we want to invite you to participate in that as we continue to invest in these lives of these kids. We'll have more information about that at the end of the service tonight, opportunity for you to act on that. But again, it's us continuing this long-term investment because we believe that long-term investment yields exponential results. The other thing that we've invest in, invested in over the last several years is our, our ministry relationship with um, some of our friends in Peru. So we've sent several teams down there. Our next team is going in a couple weeks to, again, continue that relationship and the investment of the people there. And we as a church have been able to invest financially in them and helping uh, pay the salary of the pastor there. And it's been beautiful to see our relationship grow and the effectiveness of our ministry alongside of them be really, really wonderful. And even right here at City Beautiful Church, each of us is investing, hopefully, in a specific way. In the things that God has called us to, in the ways that God has gifted us with our resources and our finances, each of us, as we contribute to this overall picture together, have exponential results on our individual investment. So the next idea is this. Meeting an unexpected need is meant to be the icing on the cake, not the bread and butter of our sacrifice. I think a lot of times when we think about giving, when we think about investing, when we think about helping, oftentimes we think about it in a really short-term, like kind of momentary thing. Like, oh, I'm going to stumble across this homeless person on the street and I'm going to maybe give them a dollar or two. Or I'm going to encounter this momentary need in the life of a friend and I'm going to help them out. That stuff is really wonderful. And it's a huge opportunity for us to grow and for us to serve and for us to love. But those things are not meant to be the bulk of, the meat of our generosity in our lives. Those things are on top of an established life of generosity. And Ryan talked last week about Acts chapter 2, and he read from that. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. We'll probably continue coming back to that passage over and over again in this series because the church is just getting started in Acts chapter 2. And immediately, generosity is a deep part of who they are and the things that define them as a community. And it's this beautifully compelling picture that draws people in, that they have established a rhythm and a habit of giving to one another and serving one another as each person has a need. I remember in high school, beginning to kind of experience some of these things. Um, I grew up at a big Baptist church, and we had like a 200-kid high school choir, you know, where we like stood on risers and like clicked our fingers and step-touched to songs that probably were not made for us to sing. Um, And we did these choir mission trips. We went to Miami, D.C., New Orleans, 
We would sing in prisons. I remember some of us ended up going up, going over to an AIDS hospice. We sat with people who were very different than we were as teenage, middle-class kids. And we learned so much. And I hope the time and the energy that we invested in those people meant something to them as well. And there were beautiful moments, and I think we grew so much. But we were able to do that because we, as a group of students, had showed up to choir rehearsal every Sunday for a couple of hours for months. And that ministry was effective, hopefully, only because we had a regular, consistent, long-term perspective about how we were to invest and cultivate and steward our time. And we built relationships with one another that became the platform for us to serve alongside of one another. And it was that long-term intentional investment that was the heartbeat, that was the core of this other thing that allowed us to go out and meet the needs as we encountered them. So meeting unexpected needs is meant to be the icing on the cake, not the bread and butter of our sacrifice. Jesus invested long-term in his disciples and together they chose in to serving the poor and the sick and to healing those who needed to be healed. There was this core to their commitment of sacrifice to one another that became the healthy context for them to go out and serve alongside of one another. And so we see these kind of one-off moments where Jesus is feeding 5,000 or he's, he's healing someone or he's encouraging someone. And all those, because they had this core of relationship and investment, became an extension that was attached to a bigger purpose. And Jesus was teaching his disciples and ultimately us as well how to live. Next idea is this. Choosing sacrifice ends the victim mentality and brings joy to the act of giving. Here's the thing. I don't know everybody's story in here. I think there's a lot of people that I hear when I have conversations or just kind of in the general ether. There are, there are people who are skeptical about giving to stuff. And I'm even talking about tonight the value of discernment. So I encourage you to be discerning in how you give and why you give and when you give and to whom you give. Discernment is important. But discernment is vastly different than skepticism. Skepticism flows from a hard heart. Skepticism causes us to have a tight grip because we want to be in control. But discernment says, Lord, I want to open my hands, not because I trust and know everything about the people around me, but I trust you. And when we're willing to trust the Lord, it gives us the opportunity to open up our hands and begin to experience a new level of joy instead of feeling like, oh, they're compelling me to give. I don't want to give. They're making me give. Why are they always talking about giving? It's this like skeptical hard heart. When we begin trusting God and moving toward discernment in the areas of our intentional giving, it softens our heart and we begin experiencing a level of joy in our giving. 2 Corinthians 9 says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What's this idea of compulsion and this idea of cheerfulness? Well, I don't think it means not easy versus easy. I don't think it's like, if it's easy, it's not under compulsion and it's cheerful. 
And if it's not easy, then it's under compulsion. I don't think compulsion and cheerful mean not easy and easy. I also don't think it means not happy and happy. What I think, this idea of not giving out of compulsion, but God-loving and cheerful giver, is willingness and unwillingness. If I'm unwilling to give, if I've hardened my heart and tightened my grip, there is an unwillingness that is built up in my life, and every time I give, I give out of compulsion. But as the Lord softens me, and I open my hands, and I become more unwilling, I'm no longer a victim to the requests of others to help. Instead, I am a cheerful giver who is giving out of discernment in relationship with God as he leads me. Because giving could potentially always be difficult. We could always actually not, not feel happy about it. But when we are opening our hands and giving willingly, there is a deep joy that begins to stir up inside of us. And we experience something new as we no longer feel like we have to fight to maintain control or maintain a tight grip. But with the Lord, we open our hands and we say, God, how do you want me to give of my time, of myself, of my talent, of my money, of all the things that you've given me, both inside and out? How can I use those things to serve the people around us? There'll be a deeper sense of cheerfulness because it's a choice. There are like so many stories of, I probably think in all of our lives, where maybe we've given and it wasn't because it was easy or we've given even though it didn't seem really comfortable. But on the other side of it, we learned something. We experienced something. And there was a deeper sense of joy in the act of giving. One of the things I love back here is as I look at these dots that we all put on this board on our way in, there's such a distribution of where those dots are. And I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm not going to be intentional because I want to always be open to everything, to every possibility. But the truth is, we each have a limited number of hours in our life. We each have a limited number of dollars in our bank account. And we serve an unlimited God. Yes, yes, yes. We can talk about all of that. God could provide in any way he wants. But actually, I think what we're illustrating back here and what I've come to discover to be true in my life and in the lives of the people around me is that God has given each of us a particular passion, or two, or three, and he's called us and is drawing us to particular things. And as each of us is faithful to respond to his call in the areas that he's calling us to exhibit generosity, suddenly a wide array of things are taken care of. But it's when we kind of hold back and we're unwilling to open our hands that certain areas of focus become neglected because we're meant to be the people who take care of those needs as the people around us take care of the needs of other things in other ways and in other areas. <clears throat> and I think on the other side of this, we come to this idea. Not only does God love a cheerful giver, you'll love being a cheerful giver too. Like why be miserable in giving? Why be miserable at anything in life when you have the opportunity to choose not to be miserable? And I think as we develop a sense of generosity in our own lives, 
this thing that could potentially be absolutely miserable for us becomes a source of goodness and joy in our lives. It becomes an opportunity for growth in our lives. So why allow something that's meant to be a gift in our lives dominate us as a burden? So I would encourage us to really discover what it means to be a cheerful giver who doesn't give because it's easy or doesn't give because they're always happy about it, but gives because the calling and stirring of the Lord leads us into it, and in that we discover a deep level of joy in our generosity. And this is the last idea here. Our community becomes irresistible when we display genuine discerning sacrifice. This is the story of the church in Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, uh, 42 through 47, we see all these things, including how generous the people are to one another. And thousands of people are being added to their number daily. But I'll also say this, our community may become irresistible, but I promise you it is way more difficult. A generous community who is committed to sacrificing for one another is way more difficult to be a part of than a community that just exists to entertain you. Or a community that just exists to scratch your spiritual itch. A community that requires something of us is so compelling, but it is so much more difficult than the alternative. And so I want to call us to that. Because again, we want to be a loving community for bold exploration. We don't want to settle for what's easy. We want to press into what's right. We want to press in to what's good and developing generosity individually in your life and collectively as a community is what's right and good. Maybe tonight some of you need to hear it's time to stop being passive and it's time to start being active. It's time to stop sitting on the sidelines and it's time to start taking responsibility. All of us, all of us, each one of you, you, if you hear my voice right now, you have something to give no matter how impoverished you think you are. And once you begin discovering the things that you have to give, your attitude and perspective of your life moves from you thinking that you are impoverished to you understanding how much it is you actually have to offer. And what if it requires for you to discover how much you have to offer? Maybe it requires you taking a first step when you think you've got nothing. So I just want to encourage you as we spend these next few minutes singing together to ask, what does it mean for you to take the step? What does it mean for you to do the hard thing? The last story, in the book of Acts, we see this guy, Stephen. There's all these widows. They need to be fed. They say, we'll get Stephen to feed the lead, lead the feeding of the widows. We'll get him to do that. He's a guy we can trust to do that. And so Stephen says yes to the job. He starts doing the job. He's so effective, people notice him for what he's doing. A couple years later, we follow this story out. What's happening? Stephen is facing trial. He's on trial for his life. He's been so effective and has garnered so much attention and doing good through his sacrifice that he is now facing death and he ends up being killed for what he has done. Giving ourselves away in life is way harder than sitting on the back, the, the sidelines or staying in the background. 
in, in the case of Stephen, and this is a horrible sales pitch, it means he ends up dead. But I don't want to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you and say, hey, if you just start giving more of yourself away, your life is going to be better. There's a chance you could end up dead. There's a chance you could lose everything. But there is something deep in this call of living a life of purpose, of giving ourselves away, even when it means it may hurt. So stand together and let's close our eyes. Well, you don't have to close your eyes. We're going to put a, a question on the screen. What are you called and created to intentionally sacrifice for? So look at that question. And now let's close our eyes and let's consider the question with the Lord again. You came in, you looked at these nine areas. Maybe there's areas that you care about that you're called to that weren't over there on that thing. What are the areas that you're called and created to intentionally sacrifice for? Now, one step deeper into that, I want you to think right now, what is one practical way that you can intentionally sacrifice for one of those things this week? What can you proactively do when you walk outside of this room to sacrifice for something you're called to give to? So we're gonna sing a couple of songs right now. Let's sing these songs as an act of worship, recognizing that our action and this very thing is potentially more worshipful than the songs that we're about to sing. That doesn't diminish our words. It doesn't diminish our songs. It elevates a life that is centered around the act of worship. So let's sing, let's sing these songs with a willingness to be convicted in our singing to live a life of generosity.